praise the Lord. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. We had such an awesome women's retreat and the ladies just came out and they were ready to just go with everything that God had. And I mean, he met us. It was just amazing some of the things that he did. So we laughed and we cried and we had our hair braided and we did all kinds of crazy girly stuff, you know, and spa treatments and all that. And um, I mean, it's just, it's good to be uh, with with the women, you know, so, and so you men have got to go get away and be with the man folks. So um, I encourage you to do that because you come back refreshed and different and changed and challenged by the word of God. And uh, so Pastor Dan and Becky, they have just treated me like um, royalty <laughs> and they're just so wonderful. And we've uh, just had, I mean, I said, I told my husband, I just love her. She is so cute. I just want to put her in my pocket and take her home with me. She is absolutely adorable. And I mean, what a woman of God and an example that you have as a pastor's wife. And I was so proud of her to, I would have thought she'd have been doing this her whole life and ministry because this, the women's retreat was just flowed. And it was because of leadership and prayer, and uh, so I just want to thank you for having me come in, and um, it's just been wonderful, and uh, okay, so um, let me just tell you, uh, I have some things out there on a media table somewhere in this great and wonderful church. I'm telling you, the worship, I told her, I said, you didn't tell me to bring my whole makeup bag so that I could put my whole face back on. Oh my word, the worship is off the chain here. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> Whew. I could have just laid on the floor, or danced on the ceiling, you know. I mean, it was just every everything. <sighs> what was I saying? Oh, um, we have a um, we, I have a media table out there where um, where you can purchase, and everything goes back into my girls' home in India. I think we have a picture of my girls in India. Uh, I have a home where we rescue the girls out of the brothels of India, and uh, from the time they're 16 years old, you can buy a girl and bring her out of slavery, pay her debt to, uh, to a brothel owner. But here's some things, we got some things on the table. The testimony that I'm gonna share today is actually in uh, uh, DVD and on CD. I've got some series out there. One is on discovering your divine destiny, regardless of how far you go in life until you are walking in God's perfect plan for your life. You're never going to be satisfied with, with your life. And so it, it helps you to understand that God has a plan and how to fulfill your destiny. We uh, have one on the signs of the times that we're living in and how to pray out the plans and purposes of God for your life. This is the book... Um, Call It Incredible is the story of my husband's life, and you're going to hear our whole story today, but um, Pastor Mark Sims, his associate of 30 years, wrote a book on the story of his life uh, because he had pastored Kingwood Church for 35 years. He had taken care of an invalid wife and raised two beautiful daughters. Uh, one of them is now the pastors of the church, and she and her husband, but um, I mean, it's just an amazing story of no matter how how strong the winds are blowing and what storm you're going through, our God is greater than. He's greater. He's greater. When we sang that today, he is greater. And so I got to come in on the tail end of this story. <laughs> and so you get to, uh, you know, I got him to sign the copies. And so you can get your autographed copy today because, you know, when our books get into books a million, we won't be able to sign a million copies. But the people that did... Um, Fireproof and October Baby and some of those movies, Mom's Night Out, have given us a contract to do a full-length movie on the story of our life. Ah! So there you go. So I would like to give these to Pastor Sister Pastor Becky. Thank you very much, ma'am. <laughs> Bless you. Loving her necklace. You know, that's her. Yesterday was her birthday. <laughs> yesterday was her birthday. Yay! And um, <clears throat> so she came in and and uh. And, and she said, Pastor gave me this necklace for my birthday. And I said, you are a wise man. I am just saying. I told my husband when we first got married, we've been married 13 years now. But I told my husband, I said, honey, if you want to live long and live strong, you, you will never get me a birthday present or a Christmas present with a cord attached to it. <laughs> Amen. I don't want an iron for my birthday. It's got to have bling. It's got to be jewelry. You know what I'm saying? So just a... 
of, of <laughs> pearls of wisdom from Miss Suzanne today. <laughs> hey, people's up there. Y'all are so sweet. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, we're just going to have fun today because God is fun. You're going to hear a story. And today uh, we're going to talk about choices. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that is so rich and so real here. And God, we just honor you today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have each and every one of us here by divine assignment. <laughs> and so, Lord, I pray that you will have your way in this service, Holy Spirit. Just have your way. Move and flow, and, and we just purpose in our hearts to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we'll be changed by your presence today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, today we are talking about choices. Because the choices that you made yesterday have affected where you are today, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're like me, then maybe you've made some wrong choices in life. But cheer up, because God's Word is our guide to making right choices every day. Every day of your life, you can choose to walk in the plans and the purposes of God. Because we know that God has a plan for our life, right? I mean, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. And he says, if you'll seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. And when we find him, we find the plan. Mm -hmm. And see, a half-hearted seeker will never fulfill the plans and the purposes of God. We have to go after him with our whole heart. Our whole heart. We've got to go after him. And so uh, when we do, we find him. And so today, I'm going to share some life lessons that I managed to live to tell about. <laughs> and um, so life lesson number one is choose to live in today. Choose to live in today. Philippians 3.13 says, this one thing I do. How many? One thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're going to go after God, you're going to face some opposition, but you're going to have to forget the things of the past. Forget it. Your past is worthy of one thing, and that is forget about it. I was telling them I was just in New Jersey, and they said forget about it. And so your past is worthy of one thing, and that's forgetting. Forget about the past and move on into everything that God has for you. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I am pressing on. I am pressing towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Because, you know, I could be swallowed up with guilt and shame and regrets of my past, but I choose to live in today. I choose. David the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it, right? We don't have to be depressed like the world is depressed. We get God, the greater one, living on the inside of us. There's a well of joy on the inside of us if we'll just learn to tap into it. And so don't, don't let your, your past keep you from fulfilling your future. My parents divorced when I was nine years old. We had lived in a small town in Alabama called Sylacauga. And uh, so we were just little kids just, you know, running all through the fields and stuff. And, and, uh, and you know, my, my daddy had been an alcoholic our whole life. And things got very difficult and very abusive at home. And so uh, my mom, she, we, they divorced and we moved to Birmingham to the big city where my nana lived. And, you know, we went to Nana's church, and my mom had to go back to work, and, and I started hanging out with the wrong crowd early on. We were 9, 10, and 14 years old. I'm telling you, if you have a teenager, <laughs> God has a special crown laid up in heaven just for you. My mom was trying to raise three of us and work and, you know, take care of the household and things like that. But, you know... Um, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd very early, making wrong choices and doing things, uh, you know. And so by the time I was 16 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic. By the time I was 23 years old, I was a cocaine addict, and almost all my teeth have had to be replaced. You know, Satan will take you so much further than you ever wanted to go, and he'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. I never set out in my life to become a drug addict or an alcoholic, but I did not know that God had a plan for my life. We went to Nana's church, but Nana's church was a denominational church where I never heard the born-again experience. I never heard that I didn't have to be an alcoholic. I never heard 
that Jesus had a plan, that he died so that I could be free. And so I spent my whole life doing stupid, crazy stuff that, because all my life I thought my self-worth was based on my appearance because, you know, I never looked like those Vogue magazine hotties. You know, why God ever thought this nose fit on this face, I'll never know. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, some things you get in fights in school about and kids can be mean. Don't be mean. You take little Susie's under your arm and just under your wing and tell them that it's going to be all right. We need to be a light in, in your workplace, in your school. God will use even the young ones to, to bring the gospel. And so really, you know, my whole life, I, I just didn't even know who I was because who's our role model when we're growing up? Oh, Miss Barbie, mm, Miss 36, 24, 36 with her long blonde hair and her perky little nose and her blue eyes, but she never said anything wrong because she couldn't talk. <laughs> but Miss Barbie sends a very powerful message to little girls who look like Skipper, <laughs> you know, that you're never going to be, you're never going to make it in this life. You're going to be so unpopular and you're never going to make it. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. And he loves you just the way you are. Yes. So, um, so by the time I was 31 years old, I was really angry and hurting and depressed and suicidal, drug addict and an alcoholic, and my life had spiraled out of control because of wrong choices. And I was driving home from work one day, and I uh, was thinking about taking my life again. I tried to uh, commit suicide many times. I'd heard those voices in my head that said, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, you might as well just kill yourself because who, who would even notice? So I was driving home from work one day, and I looked over, and there was this uh, huge camp meeting sign out in front of this church. And I thought, camp meeting? I wonder what that means, you know, because we didn't know Pentecostal lingo at Nana's church. <laughs> so um, so I, we, I drove on home, and when I, I went home, and I took a nap, and I woke up, and I usually went out as a lady of the evening. But this night... I knew I had to be at that church. And I got in my car and I drove down there and I sat in the parking lot and I watched all these people coming in in suits and ties and dresses and Bibles. And I thought, you know what? This is just another place that I don't belong. I could be in a room full of people and I felt like I never fit in anywhere. And I was about to crank my car and drive away and it was like a hand pushed me out of my car and I walked up the steps to that church. I didn't want to go to church on a Tuesday night. Who goes to church on a Tuesday night? And so I, I you know, I, I just, I walked up the steps and there was a little greeter standing at the door. I'm telling you, God's got divine appointments set up for you little greeters that are standing at the door. You keep your spiritual antennas up. I walked through that door in my skin tight blue jeans and my low cut blouse. And I, I walked in and, and she says, this little lady, she said, are you by yourself? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I don't know the first thing about an Assembly of God church. I just know that when I woke up, I had to be here. And she said, praise the Lord. And I went, oh, no, I've heard about people like you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think we, I think we had an Avon lady like that one time. <laughs> and so she says, come on, come on, you can come and sit with me. And I, so before I knew it, I was trapped in her web. And here I am sitting with her. And here comes the choir and the band, and they are jumping up and down and hooting and rooting and shouting, much like this one. Uh, and so um, I was like, this cannot be church. I mean, seriously, how can this be church? Drums and guitars in the church? That is sacrilege. I mean, at Nana's church, the lady came out in the long black robe, and she sat down at the pipe organ like Phantom of the Opera. You know, turn, turn, turn. And the pastor came out in his long black robe and he would say, God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. <laughs> well, that scared the liver out of a fourth grader. Whoever wanted to get to know that kind of God? God was dark and mysterious and ominous and thanks, but no thanks. But these people were hanging from the chandeliers going, Woo! We love you, Jesus! And I was like, uh, you know, hanging from the chandeliers. I'm thinking, this kind of this kind of looks familiar. You know what I'm saying? I kind of like this place. <laughs> I'm kind of liking it here. And so... All of a sudden, here comes Pastor Loper with probably, it was uh, Garywood Assembly of God out in Hueytown, Alabama. 
And so, which is known for race cars. And so, um, anyway, so I, I, Pastor Loper comes out with probably one of the most eloquent speakers you'll ever hear in your life, and it was Dr. Mark Rutland. And he looked across the audience after he preached that night, and he said, you may be here tonight, and you wish you had never even been born. And I thought, that's me. Every day that I wake up and look in the mirror, I hate myself that much more. My life had spiraled so far out of control, I'd push everybody out of my life. And he said, you could be here tonight and you wish you had never even been born, but I am here to tell you today, you can be born again. You can start your life over. It doesn't matter what you did last night. You can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus and you can stand before a holy God as if you had never sinned. And I had tears streaming down my face and I thought, how can I have been raised in church my whole life and I've never heard this? And he was about to give an altar call and he said, if you want to pray a simple prayer like I prayed, he said, I, I want you to bow your heads. And when he said, bow your heads, my legs jumped up and I ran to the front. I'd never seen an altar call in my life. And I knelt down and I said, God, if this is real, I want it. I want to change. I want a new beginning. I never meant for my life to come out like this, but I don't even have anything to offer you but a broken heart and a broken life. And he said, Suzanne, that's all I want is your heart. And that night on September 14th, 1993, I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Ha! Must shut that up. Yes. Never lose the wonder of your salvation. You have a story to tell, and God will put people in your path to hear it. I went to work the next day, and I said, I got what they call born again. Y'all got to come to church. And they're like, we don't want to go to church. And I'm like, I know, I know. You know, these are the people I drink and drug with, you know. And I said, I said, but it's not really like church. I mean, it's like God is there. <laughs> I mean, he's just awesome. And y'all got to come. And so my friends started coming to church and, and, uh, and getting saved. And, and, and so we went. I got saved on Tuesday night. We went Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. You know, camp meeting. <laughs> That's what you do. And so on Friday night, there was a flaming evangelist there. And when he got done preaching, he said, if you want everything God's got for you, I want you to come to the front. And I thought, well, you know, I want everything God's got for me. But I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> so I came to the front with the whole tribe of Israel. I mean, we were packed in like sardines. And he's coming down the aisle, and I'm, he's coming down, and I'm, I was like four rows deep in people. I was kind of towards the back. And he says, you know, he's, I thought, he is pushing those little ladies down in the floor. What is going on? And so, you know, he gets in front of me. And I felt the fire of God coming off the man. I didn't know anything about the anointing, but I knew I wanted to touch the fire. And I had my hand up like this, and he told my friend Karen, he said, get behind her and push. And, and when he, she pushed me up to where my fingertips touched his, and it was like 10,000 volts of electricity started going down my arm. And I looked at Karen with my eyes this big, and she went, go with it. <laughs> so I did. I hit the floor like a rock as God washed years of depression off of me and filled me with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Woo, hallelujah. I'm telling you, when I sat up, my throat was on fire, and I was speaking in a language I had never heard before. <laughs> I was the first person I ever heard speaking tongues. <laughs> does God have a sense of humor or what? Oh, yes, he does. And see, that's when I came to realize that God really never meant for us to go through life sober. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was never his plan. <laughs> Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, where is an excess? You drink the wine of the world and you'll do things you wish you had never done. You'll say things you wish you had never said and you'll go places that you may not be able to get out of. Alcohol has an assignment to destroy your life. Mm -hmm. And so he, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Be filled. Be filled. Drink and drink and drink. And all it does is make more capacity for more of God. And you never have a hangover. Woo, that is something to shout about right there. Ah, yeah. So choose to live in today. 
Your past is history. Your future is a mystery, and today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So life lesson number two, choose to renew your mind. Choose to renew your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Listen, God has a perfect will for your life, and you're never going to be satisfied with mediocre, average, acceptable. You will be the most fulfilled as you're walking smack dab in the middle of God's perfect will for your life. And he doesn't want it to be a mystery. He wants to reveal to you what the plan is. And so I thank God for the little white-haired ladies of the church. <laughs> oh, honey, they took me on as a mission. <laughs> well, I came in with big hair, red lips, and mini skirts up to here. And they said, here, honey, here's your Bible. Why don't you start reading it tonight? <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> you know, remain teachable. All the, I remember you from being a, yeah, northern cow. Mm, I know that's the truth. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, okay, <laughs> I've never been sanguine in my life, but that was just a moment in, in time. Um, so, so, I, you know, my little white-haired ladies, they just, they just took me in and they loved me. And they taught me to fall crazy in love with the Word of God and get my mind renewed. See, I have been one of those people that I told you never amount to anything. Nothing good is going to ever happen to you. And so I began to believe that. I began to live that out. And so then when you get born again, your, your, your spirit man gets born again, but your flesh is still like Joe Sinner down the street. It wants to do the same old stuff that it used to do. It wants to drink and chew and run with girls that do. But we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to walk with God and we're going to be a light. And so my little pioneers of faith, that's what they were. They were the little pioneers of faith. And my best friend is 87 years old. But she taught me how to pray through. She taught me how to just stay in prayer until you get the victory. She taught me how to plead the blood of Jesus. She taught me how to tithe and give to missions. She taught me that the word of God generates life. And it creates faith. And it heals hurts. And it builds character. And it causes miracles to happen. And it scares the daylights out of the devil. Jesus taught us how to fight the devil with the word of God. With it is written. you got to get the word of God in your heart. David didn't say that word have I highlighted with a yellow pen. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> he said that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, the Word of God will keep you out of trouble. Samson taught us, you know, you can't, you can't fight the Philistines by day and sleep with them by night. <laughs> you got to choose this day whom you will serve. You got to walk in the Word of God. Jesus said the path is narrow. Don't you be surprised when everybody doesn't want to walk with you down the narrow path. You're going to have to let go of some things. There were times where my friends were, were, some of them that I used to drink with and work with were going out at night, and they would say, we're going to go have a drink after work. You want to come? There were days where I had really bad days, and I still wanted to have a drink. But I didn't want to lose the peace that I had. Oh, I didn't want to lose the presence of God. What is more important to you? How bad do you want it? I would put my apron down. I worked for a printing company. I'd get on the nasty floor in that bathroom, and I would say, oh, God, please help me. I want to go with them, but I want to stay with you. Sometimes it's a battle that's going to go on, but let me just tell you this. Jesus will help you every single time. Every time he will give you the power. He'll give you the power to say no to the world and yes to God. And promotion will come. How could I be standing here today? It's not me. It's him. It's him. So stay in the battle. Stay in the battle. So once I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and God had put some awesome mentors in my life, I thought, surely there is a husband on the horizon. <laughs> Because I am 31, and we are burning daylight here. You know what I'm saying? And God said, Suzanne, you are nowhere near ready for a husband. <laughs> he said, first of all, you don't know how to keep your big mouth shut. 
<laughs> He's still working on that one. Can I just tell you that? <laughs> Surprise. And so, um, <laughs> but he said, you need to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love and patience and love and joy. Joy. I had no joy living out in the world. Hmm. They don't call it spirits for nothing, you know. They call it on restaurants, food and spirits. That's a spirit, all right, <laughs> you know. But it's not the, the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Listen, the words that you speak carry the power of life and death. You can speak kind words or you can speak cruel words. And you can go back and say, I'm so sorry, and they may forgive you, but it'll never change the way that it made them feel. You got to get some self-control in your life. If you're still a door slammer and pout for three days, you know, God wants to deal with that. He, he wants you to rise above that. And so I needed to cultivate fruit of the Spirit because I did marry a sanguine personality who talks nonstop all the time. And one morning I looked at him at the coffee pot when I was pouring my first cup. And I said, how many years is it going to take for you to understand? I am not a morning person. <laughs> so you take your coffee and go back here, and I'll take my coffee, and I'll meet you for our second cup. And he's like, oh, I get it. Sometimes you just got to explain some things, you know. <laughs> we didn't know this would be marriage 101 today, did we? <laughs> yeah. So anywho, so I, I just, I needed to learn to grow in the things of God before I ever uh, got a husband. So I thought, well, I'm going to start my date night with the Holy Ghost. And every Saturday night for three solid years, I had date night with the Holy Ghost. And see, I would, I would, I would get home from work and and because uh, I thought, you know, God the Father seated in heaven and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit has been sent to the earth. He's here, like now, <laughs> and and. John 14 and John 16 says that he's been sent here to lead us and guide us and teach us and show us things to come. I want to know things to come, don't you? Don't you want to know what the future is going to be like and, and, uh, and the plans that he has for your life? Well, listen, we don't have to dial 1-800-SISTER-KENESHA to get the plan of God for our life. We, God has a plan. And he says, if you'll call unto me, I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto man, but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Listen, your future is a mystery to you, but it's not a mystery to God. He wants to show you the plans that he has for you. And so I, I would start my date night and I would run up the stairs and, and into my house and i go, hi, honey, I'm home. <laughs> And after about three months of doing that, I walked in the door one night, and he was there waiting on me. And all I could do was bury my face in the carpet and just weep and cry because he is real. He is so real. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he says, I draw you to myself. He calls us to him so that we can spend time with him. Listen, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. There's a lot of voices clamoring for your attention out there. We better know the voice of our shepherd in these last days. Things are winding up. And there's a lot of things that's going to try to pull you out of the will of God in the last days. So you better know the voice of your shepherd and walk with him and say, yes, Lord, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And so one night as I was reading, it was like Proverbs 31, 23 leapt off the page. And it says, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And he said, Suzanne, if you'll wait on me, I'll bring you a husband that'll see you as the treasure that I see you as. And you'll come alongside him and you'll help him fulfill his destiny. But you have to wait. I don't want to wait. Who wants to wait? I was 31. Hello, I've been waiting. I've been waiting and waiting. Have you not noticed that? I've been waiting. He said, you have to wait. He said, but all my friends are married, and, you know, uh, you, know you can argue with God all day long, but he ain't going to change his mind. <laughs> you know, he's, he, when he says wait, I mean, you can, you can go off and do your thing without his blessing. And I've seen it happen to many 
many people, not just women, men, I'm telling you today, you choose wisely. Because a woman, she can make you or she can break you. And so I, I said, okay, Father, I'll, I'll do my best to wait, <laughs> you know. And so um, after staying in my home church for three years, God called me to go to Rama Bible Training Center out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I spent two of some of the best years of my life of learning how to walk by faith and be led by the Spirit of God. And then God called me to go to India. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Did you say India? I th are you sure you don't mean Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, India is so far away. <laughs> and he said, Suzanne, go to India. <laughs> <laughs> and so what do you do when God says, go to India? Ladies, yes, sir. That's what you say. Yes, sir, I'll go. And so I packed my suitcase and I, I got off the plane in India and this brings me to life lesson number three. Choose to obey God. Choose to obey God. Isaiah 119 says, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. So I said, yes, sir. And I, I got off the plane in India, and it's 120 degrees by 7 o'clock in the morning. I lived in a village of a million people, and I was working with Teen Challenge, and, and I, woo. Where's my teen challenge? Woo! Okay. Yeah, they don't call it teen challenge for nothing. Y'all are a challenge to us who work with you. <laughs> but we love you. <laughs> oh, me. So I, you know, the rats were about the size of this pulpit right here, and I would sleep with a boot in my bed, and I would drop it on the floor in the morning, and, and, um, the rats would go scurrying out of my room, and I was thinking, you know, really? Really, God? I mean, I put aside my dream to ever be married, to go and live in India covered from head to toe. How would they even know there's a girl under there, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and work with these girls that we rescued out of the brothels of India. Because, see, in India, in some of the villages where I worked in the darker places, they believe that if a boy child is born first, then he brings a blessing of the 300 million gods that they serve. If a girl child is born first, then she brings a curse on the family. And many times they will put a heavy cloth over her face and suffocate her and send her down the river. If she lives to be as old as nine years old, and this is in some places, not all places, but the village where I lived in Faridabad was one of the darkest places in India. And at nine years old, they will sell their daughters for as little as $4 into slave prostitution where they will be beaten and burned and raped into submission. And these babies will be put behind a curtain on a nasty mat on a floor and be forced to have as many as 30 relationships a day, a day, until they are 16 years old. And then they are, they are abused and broken and demon-possessed, and they have no hope, and they really have no future. And so for $200, you can buy a 16-year-old girl and bring her out and pay her debt to a brothel owner and tell her, baby, I am so sorry for what has happened to you, but my God has a plan for you. And they don't want to hear about a God. But I said, my God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son, his precious only son for you. That is huge to a little girl in India. Not his son. Yes, his son died so that you could be free. And so my first year was extremely difficult because I never worked with girls so broken. And many times I would stand at the gate and I'd watch my girls go back to prostitution because that's the only voice they had ever heard in, in their life. You are worthless. You are nothing. You will never be married. You will never be whole. You will never have anything. And I would stand and I would just cry and cry with Sister Usha, the national director, and, and we just had to trust that the word had been sown into their life. So after the first year was up, I said, you know what, I am finished my year and I'm ready to go back because the, the, the missionaries had started the home in 
Cal from California, and so they, I was packing my suitcase and getting ready to go back to the States. And Sister Kelly called and she said, Suzanne, we, we need you to stay one more year. We need to stay in California. I said, not another year. I mean, it's like in India, a, it's like God's timing, like a day is as a thousand years. <laughs> and I said, Kelly, really? I said, I, I just can't. I'm exhausted, really. I just, I'm ready to come back to the States. She said, we need you to stay one more year. You know the girls, you know the home, you know the routine, you have favor with Pastor Pawar. And she said, please, just, just pray about it. And I was like, oh, man, don't ask me to pray about it. I don't want to pray about it. I said, well, I'm going to the mountains to house it for, uh, for a couple as they do some ministry. And I said, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll pray about it. <laughs> so I got to the mountains of, of India, and I fasted and prayed. And the Lord said, Suzanne, I want you to stay one more year. I don't mean I hear an audible voice. I mean, you learn to hear from God right here. He'll speak to you as an inward witness. I knew I was supposed to stay one more year. What do you do when God says stay one more year? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll stay. So I packed my bag and I got on the train and I came back into the train station in New Delhi and Sister Usha was there to pick me up at nine o'clock at night, but she couldn't find me because the train tracks were flooded. And so I, monsoon season had started and so I came in on a different track and I waited there from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. I mean, I was really frightened to be there by myself. It's not a safe place to be in the train station. There's men everywhere and it's just not safe. And so I thought, well, I gotta go home. I can't spend the night here. And so I thought, well, I've taken taxis before. So I asked the taxi driver, I said, you know my village for Ritabad? He said, yes. And so I got in the taxi with the man and about 15 minutes into the ride into the dark night of India, I realized he was not taking me to my village. And fear began to suffocate me. And I, I reached up and I tapped him on the back and I said, I said, Baya, Faridabad. And he shook his head and about that time he pulled into an abandoned service station where he blew the horn and four men came out. And they began to look into the van at my luggage and, and at, at everything that I had there with me. And I had tears streaming down my face as I looked at probably the most demon-possessed man I've ever seen in my life, looked at that taxi driver and said, Kidnapesa, yay American, which means how much money do you want for her? He was about to sell me underground into the, the human trafficking, and I, it would have been a prize to have had an American. And tears were streaming about my face, but my little pioneers of faith had taught me how to plead the blood. And I began to say, Father, I plead the blood. I just began to whisper that. And the Holy Spirit on the inside said, speak it out. And I began to scream at the top of my voice, Father, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over my life and over this van. You said in Psalm 91, you've given your angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. And when I said that, those four men were slammed up against that building. Their eyes were looking into heaven as I believe God showed them the angels of God. Woo! Our God is faithful. I tell you he's faithful so uh, that little taxi driver jumped in that van and we took off and I prayed in the Holy Ghost all the way to my doorstep where he dropped me out and I never saw him again Woo! hallelujah yes so sister Usha and I went on a 21 day fast and we said Lord we need miracles we need miracles in our home and with our girls and so um, so we began to fast and pray, and the Lord said, spoke to our heart, and he said, Suzanne, the year 2000 will be your year of miracles. And I said, okay. So we began to see miracles with our girls. We got through ICI. We got through like a K-5 all the way through 12th grade, and we started teaching the girls how to read the Hindi language because they had never sat in school in their life. And so we started teaching them how to read the Bible. And supernaturally, they began to understand and read the Word of God. And as a matter of fact, when Sister Kelly came back, she said, Suzanne, these girls are speaking Hindi with a southern accent. Because <laughs> I'd been helping them with their homework. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> yeah. So, so we began to see miracles. And so I signed up. You know, I said, I'm staying another year. This is my home. These are my girls. I am in the flow with it now. And I said, we're going to see God continue to do great things. And and so Sister Kelly and Pastor Rich were back from California, and, 
And uh, so I was staying, stayed another year until October of my year of miracles when uh, my mother had a heart attack and, and they said, Suzanne, if you want to see her, you need to come now. She's in intensive care and she wants to see you. And so I called Brother David Grant and I said, can I go home and see my mom? And he said, sure. He said, it's the end of October. Go ahead and stay through. And um, he said, just come back at, at the first of the year. Spend Christmas with your mom and, and then come back. And I said, okay. So I said, well, this is my year of miracles. And so I was packing my suitcase and getting ready to go back. And Sister Kelly came and she sat on the end of my bed. And she said, Suzanne, remember when we called and asked you to stay one more year? And I said, I, I do. <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> and she said, we were in Springfield, Missouri at a missions conference. And we were with 500 missionary couples. And we were listening to some pastor named Ron Cox from Alabama. And she said, we laughed and we cried. She said, the man is just a nut. <laughs> and she said, but the thing about it is, she said, he um, began to tell his testimony of how he had been at that church for 27 years, somewhere in Alabama. And she said, I don't know where, but she said, uh, when they first got there, his wife became very ill with a debilitating disease. And they um, could not figure out what was wrong with her for the first five years. It was a neurological disease that was so rare, but it was drying the fluid up in her brain. And so she would do crazy things like jump out of the car when they'd be going down the road or she would try to take her own life. And, you know, he had a little six-month-old baby girl and a little five-year-old girl that he was raising and, and had a wife that was acting like this and trying to pastor a church. And, and she said after five years, they finally diagnosed her with Huntington's chorea, which is one of the most long-term hideous illnesses that there is out there. And she said, Suzanne, he, he, they told her that you're so far advanced now that within six months, your body will twist into a fetal position and you'll be in a wheelchair and then into a nursing home. And she said, he took care of her in the home the first 15 years. He cut up every bite of food that she ate. He fixed her hair. He did her makeup. He'd put her in the wheelchair and roll her up in front of the pulpit and he'd preach the gospel. And he would say, baby, we're going to make it because God is faithful. He would lay hands on the sick and they would recover and get up and walk out the door. And Glenda continued to get worse and worse to where he finally had to put her in a nursing home when her vital organs began to shut down. And she said he, she said he would go there every morning and he would kneel down by her bed at 6 o'clock before he went to the church. And he would say, honey, if you can hear me, I want you to know that I'll be faithful to you one more day. But I'll have to come back tomorrow and tell you the same thing. And she said, Suzanne, he did that for another nine years, day after day after day, while the girls grew up and went off to Southeastern Bible College and met their husbands. And, and uh, the church grew to nearly 2,000. And she said, Suzanne, when Glenda passed away, she weighed 47 pounds. And she said she's been gone for uh, over a year. And she said, but she was gone a lot longer than that, really. And she said, as, she said, he's just amazing. And when you go home to Alabama, she said, I want you to go find Pastor Ron Cox and I want you to meet him because I believe one day that man is going to be your husband. <laughs> and I said, shut up. <laughs> I said, I am not going home looking for some pastor from Alabama. I am going, I'm going home to see my mom and then I'm coming back. I said, besides that, if he's pastored the same church for 27 years, like how old is this man? <laughs> and she said, well, you are no spring chicken sitting on 40. Amen. So, so I, I said, well, touche. So I, I said, but I am not going looking for some pastor. She goes, well, I'm just saying God is going to set it. You know, he's somehow, I said, if God wants me to meet Pastor Ron Cox, he's just going to have to set up a divine appointment. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I got off the plane in October of my year of miracles, and my mom greeted me at the airport, and she said, I have the heart of a 16-year-old. God has given me a new heart, and the doctor has released me. Woo! He's still the God of miracles. So I, I said, well, I get to spend Christmas with you, but I don't know how I'm going to, um, you know, pay for my ticket. So I called my pastor, thank God for missions pastors, 
And I said, can I come and see you? And he said, sure. So I was three days after I got off the plane. I'm sitting in Pastor Loper's office and uh, talking about, you know, India and catching up on things at the church. And I'd only been in there about 10 minutes when Dolores, his secretary, instead of beeping him on the telephone, she um, walks in the office and says, Pastor Loper, Pastor Ron Cox is on the telephone. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Ron Cox? That's that man's name. Okay. <laughs> that... That name wasn't on the back burner. That thing was on fire. <laughs> so I am sitting there listening to him talk. And Ron, you know, I could hear Pastor Loper go, Ron, oh, man. He said, I can't play golf with you today. You know, real spiritual stuff. <laughs> he said, I can't play golf with you today. He said, I've got appointments backed out the door. And then he looked at me and he goes, but I am sitting here with a little missionary from India. She's never been married. She got born again in my church. She would probably love to play golf with you today here. Why don't you talk to her on the telephone? And I'm going, no, I don't want to talk to him. I don't even play golf, you know. And, and Ron, I could hear him on the other end going, John, no, 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 no. Ah, he's thinking missionary from India, never been married, must be looking like Mother Teresa. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Corey Tinboom, you know, with the bun. Bondage. <laughs> and so, uh, so, I, so Pastor Loper hands me the phone, and we talk as fast as we can, and we both hang up as fast as we can. And so Pastor Loper said, you know what? He said, Ron is going to be here for the sectional council meeting on Thursday. And he said, you, you, you need to have lunch with me afterwards. And, and we can, he's been across town from you your whole life. He said, I knew him and Glenda over at uh, Southeastern Bible College and grew up with them. And we've pastored, you know, the same city forever. And so um, he said, you need, you'll have to be here for the Thursday morning sectional council. So he said, just come on. All the missionaries will be here, all the pastors. He said, maybe we can have lunch afterwards. So I thought, well, I don't know. So I, I, I came in that Thursday morning and I asked my, uh, one of my women's ministry ladies, I said, is Pastor Ron Cox in the house? And she said, well, yeah, he's sitting over there with Pastor Loper. And I thought, well, now's my chance to spy out the land. <laughs> so I turned around and I looked at him and I turned around and I looked again and I said, glory to God, the man is so fine. permission to go with this one <laughs> and so so Ron and I met in the foyer that day but I'm so shy and insecure <laughs> that I took off and so one of his friends called my mother's house the next morning and said you know we really we want to have lunch with you and my friend Ron met you yesterday and so we we so he says we'll see you at 12 o'clock and so I hung up the phone so what to do but go so I went and Ron began to tell me about being on a servant leadership team that meets once a month and prays over our city of Birmingham with pastors and businessmen that God would break down racial barriers and denominational barriers and make our city a light on the hill. And when he said that, the Lord spoke to my heart. He says, Suzanne, there's your Proverbs 31, 23 man. He's respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. He said, that man's going to be your husband. And all the fears and the insecurities of my past came flooding up. Oh, but God, he's, he pastors a big church and his daughters, how would his daughters ever accept me once they know my past and where I've been? He said, Suzanne, your past is in the sea of forgetfulness. You no longer have a past. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He said, that man's going to be your husband. And I said, well, okay, but who's going to tell him? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to tell him. I am a nonprofit organization. <laughs> yeah. So I said, I'm not going to tell him. So he got my phone number that day, and he was traveling, and I was traveling, seeing some friends. And, and he would call, and we'd talk for three hours at a time. And, and it was, you know, I mean, it was like God was just at work. And, and then when, um, in November of my year of miracles, I met my beautiful girls, my Tiffany and Stacy. They went through a storm that lasted 24 and a half years. What do you do when you get a bad report? Huh. These girls, they stayed in the battle. He thought he was going to lose Stacy. She started going off and being angry, and she was embarrassed, and there were so many things. 
but he would lay in front of her door when she would come in smelling like alcohol and pot, marijuana, and he would lay in front of her door and he would cry out to God and say, I plead the blood of Jesus over my baby. Devil, you're not getting my daughter. And she said, I used to hate him for doing that. But she said, at the same time, it was the only time I ever felt safe in my life was when my daddy was stretched out in front of my door praying for me. She's the pastor of the church now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't you give up. Don't you give up on your prodigal. <laughs> so, so I met my girls and fell in love with them. And, and then uh, he met my mom and she said, he's perfect for you. And so then in December of my year of miracles, and I had my ticket to go back in January, Ron called me from New York City. Um, if I could get a keyboard player or, a, yeah, we can just come on with it, play some ambiance. We're getting to the good part. <laughs> so Ron called me and he said, Suzanne, I'm up here in New York City. And he, I said, in New York City, what are you doing there? And he said, have you ever seen the Christmas lights in New York City? And I said, no, I never have. And, and uh, I said, I've never been in New York City. <laughs> and he said, I'm up here. I said, what are you doing there? He said, I'm up here with my friend and my mentor, Pastor David Wilkerson. You know, Pastor David built Teen Challenge Centers all over the world. The man of God, the prophet of God is in heaven now. He had such a heart for broken people, but he also had a heart for broken pastors. And 20 years prior, Ron had been at a repentance conference and was wiped out next to a dumpster, crying his heart out, wondering, how am I gonna make it? What am I gonna do about my girls? How are we gonna make it? And Pastor David came and he laid his hand on his back and he said, son, I don't know what you're walking through. But I'm telling you, God's faithful. You're going to go through deep waters, but they'll not overtake you. You're going to go through the fire, but you'll not be burned. He said, God's going to see you through. He's faithful. He said, why don't you have lunch with me today? And over a course of about 20 years, Pastor David would call Ron and he would say, get somebody to take care of Glenda and the girls and come up here and just walk the streets of New York City with me. Come and rest. And he said, who else would I go to? So he said, Pastor David, I feel like I've met somebody that I want to marry, but I'm so afraid to put my heart on the line. I made it through a storm the last 24 and a half years. I watched my girls grow up and marry men of God. I watched my church grow in spite of everything we were walking through. He said, but personal happiness has always seemed to elude me. He said, I don't know what to do. And Pastor David said, why don't we just stretch out on the carpet and see what God has to say about it. And after 30 minutes, he sat up and he said, Ron, you marry her. God is going to give you back everything that the canker worm and the pommel worm and the locust has eaten. God is going to give you a triple harvest. Every sunset that you missed. And if you follow me on Facebook, I post sunsets all the time. Every sunset that you missed, every hand being held over a candlelight dinner, God's going to give it back to you. He said, you bring her up here. I want to meet her. And I said, I don't want to meet the prophet. <laughs> you get his newsletter and you put it on the coffee table and circle it for three days before you open it. I said, besides that, I can't go out of town with some single pastor. I am a missionary of integrity. <laughs> <laughs> no compromise. Don't you compromise your walk with God for anybody. No compromise. So he says, well, what if, what if Pastor David calls and asks you to speak to his home for girls that are rescued from prostitution and you could stay with Barbara, his secretary? And I said, well, I don't know. Let me pray about it. Amen. Send me a ticket. <laughs> so he did. And I went. And Pastor David prayed the sweetest prayer over us and sent us on a carriage ride around Central Park. 
and the Christmas lights are just beautiful and sparkly and it was kind of sleeting and snowing in December of my year of miracles and I had on my long black wool coat, my little black fur attitude hat. <laughs> and we got out of the carriage and we began to walk the streets of New York City. And Ron looked at me and he said, Suzanne, didn't you tell me that the year 2000 is your year of miracles? And I said, yes, that's what God spoke to my heart at the beginning of this year. And I had my ticket to go back in January. He said, didn't you tell me that Miracle on 34th Street is your favorite Christmas movie? And I said, I, oh, don't get ahead of me. I said, I love Miracle on 34th Street. I watch it in 120 degree weather in India. I said, it's my all time favorite. I said, I love that movie. And he goes, well, I want you to look up. And when I looked up, we were standing in front of Macy's on 34th Street and Broadway. And he brought out this beautiful diamond ring. And he said, Suzanne, I never thought that I would see personal happiness again. He said, will you marry me and be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church? And I was crying so hard, I looked like Tammy Faye with a little wet skunk on my head. <laughs> but I managed to say, yes, I will marry you. He said, I want you to come back. It's Mission Sunday. I want you to tell your story. And I said, not my story. <laughs> Let me tell someone else's story. I said, your church loves you. All the fears and all the insecurities started to try to come back. What if they find out? What if, what if, what if? He said, just tell your story. So I stood up and I told my story with my knees shaking. And he came up beside me and he said, church, we give and we give to missions. It's the lifeblood of our church. We have built churches and Bible colleges across the world. But he said, today I'm here to tell you, God is giving us back a missionary. She's gonna be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church. And they stood to their feet and they clapped for 20 minutes. And in the year 2001, I came down the center aisle of Kingwood Church wearing a white dress. Our God is a God of new beginnings. Will you stand with me? You know what? Isaiah 61 says, the Lord gives beauty for ashes. He gives the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Our God is a God of new beginnings. God brought me here today to give you hope. He brought me here to tell you that you can start your life over. You can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I want you to do some soul searching in your heart today and say, do I have that peace? Do I really have that joy? Do I really have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you have any doubt in your heart, I want you to just lift your hand and say, Suzanne, I need Jesus. I want Jesus to come into my heart today. I want a new beginning in my life today. And if that's you, I want you to just lift your hand and say, Suzanne, pray for me. Pray for me, I need that. I wanna start my life over. Yes, ma'am, thank you, thank you. I'm ready for my new beginning. I've tried to just live my life the way that I wanted it, but now I see that I have got to have supernatural strength and help. And today is your day for your miracle. And I want you to step out and come right down here and meet me right now. Just step out because God is gonna meet you. He's gonna come rushing to you because you can have a new beginning in Him. He says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. If he is speaking your name right now, I want you to step out and say, God, I'm ready for my new beginning. We'll wait on you. We'll wait on you. Yes, ma'am, you're so beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, baby. Come on. Yes, ma'am. Is there anybody else? We'll wait on you to come from the balcony. We'll wait on you. He loves you so much. He wants you to start over. He wants to give you a new beginning. You can just, you can have a new life. Oh, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old will pass away and behold, the new will come. The new, the new, it can be all new. He loves you. You can be empowered. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. He loves you. Oh, today is your day for your miracle. You will never be the same after today. Never be the same. Never to be the same. Oh, hallelujah.
I want you to pray this prayer with me. And if there's anybody coming, is there anybody? Yes, yes, precious one. Come here. Jesus loves you. He wants it to all be new for you, baby. New beginnings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to pray this prayer with me, Father. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on. Come on. God wants to heal and restore and make everything new. Oh, he loves you. He wants you. He desires your heart. Whether you have anything to offer him, he's going to take the broken pieces of your life. <laughs> oh, you'll never be the same, baby. You'll never be the same after today. Pray this prayer with me, Father. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I ask you, come into my heart. Change my life. Make me the person that you created me to be. Thank you that you rose from the dead so that I could have victory. Thank you that I am yours and you are my father now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.